bringing you the latest in tax credit news, this is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, June 25th, 2019. Three years ago today, House Republicans released an outline of their tax reform priorities, which they titled their A Better Way plan. That tax reform plan and the tax reform bill passed by House Republicans threatened the low income tax credit, the tax exemption for private activity bonds, and the 2018 and 2019 new markets tax credit allocation rounds. Now, fortunately, after considerable efforts by those who support these incentives, many of which who are listening to this podcast now, when tax reform legislation was enacted in 2017, they were preserved. However, tax reform did alter the historic tax credit. Now, tax reform also dropped the top corporate tax rate to 21%. House and Senate Republicans passed that tax reform legislation, as you'll recall, without a single Democratic vote. Now, three years later, we're in a new Congress, and Democrats are now in control of the House representatives. I'll talk more in today's podcast about how the House Ways and Means Committee Democrats are proposing a tax extenders package and how some say Democrats might try to pay for extenders by raising certain taxes that were lowered in tax reform. Other topics in this week's podcast include the IRS updating its Opportunity Zones Frequently Asked Questions or FAQs page to address Section 1231 gains invested in qualified opportunity funds in 2018. I'll also discuss an effort by Senate Democrats to extend the Renewable Energy Investment Tax Credit. From there, I'll talk about a report on the persistent gap between renters' wages and the cost of rental housing. And after that, I'll outline a proposal to create a new single-family housing tax credit. I'll close out with the latest Qualified Equity Investment Issuance Report from the CDFI Fund, as well as some news from Michigan and West Virginia on how proposed legislation in those states could increase Opportunity Zones investments in those states. If you're ready, let's get started. As first reported by Bloomberg Tax, the Opportunity Zones community received some welcome news just the other day. Specifically, the IRS provided insight through its Opportunity Zones FAQs page as to whether Section 1231 gains that were invested in 2018 are eligible for deferral through investment in a Qualified Opportunity Fund. Now, Section 1231 property is real or depreciable property used in a trader business and held for more than one year. It's defined in Internal Revenue Code Section 1231. Now, the IRS said on its FAQs page that Section 1231 gains that were invested before the last day of 2018 are eligible for the deferral election. Now, this assumes, of course, that the taxpayer made the investment during the 180-day period that starts on the day the gain is realized. Now, the reason by the IRS is that tax year affected a year ended before May 1 of this year. Now, why May 1? Well, that's the date that the IRS published regulations. Now, under the IFAQ, the deferral election on that investment is valid, even though proposed regulations say that the 180-day period to invest in that Section 1231 gains doesn't begin until the end of the tax year the gains are realized. That would be December 31, 2018 for the 2018 calendar year. So the IRS is grandfathering investments made before the proposed regulations were released. Now the IRS did also confirm 
that if you make such a deferral election for 2018 Section 1231 gains, that won't impair your ability to rely on all the other aspects of the proposed regulations that were published on May 1. Now, the opportunity, the Novogratic Opportunity Zones Working Group does plan to ask Treasury to reconsider its regulations in this area. And at a minimum, the group's going to ask for a transitional rule in the regulations that's consistent with this guidance. I'll tweet the FAQ link, and I'll include it in today's show notes. And if you have any questions as to how this guidance affects your Opportunity Fund investments, please contact a Novogratic partner near you. Now let's turn to proposed legislation. The House Ways and Means Committee last Thursday marked up and approved a tax extenders package proposed by House Democrats. Now the package advanced through the Ways and Means Committee on a pure party line vote. 25 Democrats to 17 Republicans. Democrats yes, Republicans no. Now it's unclear when the full House may consider this package. The package would extend more than three dozen expired and expiring tax extenders. Now the proposal would extend the new markets tax credit through the year 2020 and increase the allocation authority for that round from $3.5 billion to $5 billion. The proposal would also retroactively extend the Section 45L $2,000 a unit efficient homes tax credit. Now we at Novogratic have many 2018 tax returns on extension, waiting to see if this provision is retroactively extended such that the property owners can claim the credit. Now one proposed way to offset the cost of this extenders package provided by the Democrats is to end the higher estate tax exemption that was enacted in 2017. They would propose accelerating the end of that exemption, accelerating from 2022, or I should say to 2022 from 2025. They may recall that the 2017 tax reform package more than doubled the size of the estate tax exemption, increasing it from about $5.5 million to $11.4 million. But that does expire in 2025, and the Democrats are proposing to accelerate that expiration to 2022 to help pay for the extenders. I should also note that Democratic Representative Lloyd Doggett of Texas suggested during last week's markup that Congress should also increase the corporate tax rate from 21% to 22% to help pay for the cost of several of the the Democrats' proposals. I also want to let you know that the bill also includes a disaster tax relief portion that would increase California's low-income housing tax credit allocations. California's allocations increase would end up being the lesser of either 50% of the combined ceiling for 2017 and 2018, or the aggregate amount of allocation to buildings in qualified disaster areas. And based upon our initial calculations, California would get about a 50% increase in their combined state ceiling for 2017 and 2018. Now, to the extent that this provision does survive an extenders package, I would expect that it would be expanded to other states that had natural disasters in 2017 and 2018. I should also note that there was no revenue-raising offset proposed for this disaster tax relief portion of the bill. Now, we do expect the legislation will face significant Republican opposition, obviously in the House already, and we expect that it to be faced in the Senate. As a matter of fact, even before the extenders legislation was introduced, Ways and Means ranking member, Republican Kevin Brady, and Senate Finance Committee Chairman, Republican Chuck Grassley, issued a joint release calling the package a non-starter. Now, you can find a copy of this bill entitled the Taxpayer Certainty and Disaster Tax Relief Act of 2019 on our website. 
The link also is in today's show notes. Now let's turn from the House to the Senate. Senate Democrats are also pushing for tax extenders. In fact, a group of Senate Democrats sent a letter to Senate Finance Committee leaders asking them to prioritize extending clean energy tax incentives that are scheduled to phase down at the end of this year. Those provisions are the Section 48, Renewable Energy Investment Tax Credit, as well as the Section 25D, Residential Renewal Energy Tax Credit. Now, the letter said that the decrease of both credits should be delayed until there's another clean energy incentive to replace them, such as a technology-neutral incentive. Now, the letter was signed by 20 Senate Democrats, including, notably, six presidential candidates, namely Cory Booker of New Jersey, Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts, Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota, Kristen Gillibrand of New York, Kamala Harris of California, and Michael Bennett of Colorado. Now, as presidential campaigns ramp up, we may see issues like clean energy priorities gain much wider attention. Let's turn now more broadly to the subject of housing affordability. The National Low Income Housing Coalition has released its 2019 Out of Reach report. Now, this report has been released annually for the past 30 years, and it examines the gap between renters' wages and the cost of rental housing across the country. And if you're a regular listener to this podcast, you know I've discussed this before. Now, NLIHC found that one in four renters have extremely low incomes and cannot afford rent. The central statistic of the report is the housing wage. The housing wage is the hourly wage that full-time workers must earn to afford fair market rent without spending more than 30% of their income on rent. Now, in 2019, the federal minimum wage was $7.25. And the housing wage is nearly $19 an hour for a modest one-bedroom rental home or nearly $23 for a modest two-bedroom home. Once again, the federal minimum wage is $7.25. That means that someone earning minimum wage would have to work nearly 127 hours a week, or more than three full-time minimum wage jobs to afford a two-bedroom home at fair market rent. Now, minimum wage workers are not the only ones that are struggling to afford rent. The average renter's hourly wage is $5.39 less than the national two-bedroom wage and $1.08 less than the one-bedroom housing wage. Now, the National Low-Income Housing Coalition did say that a significant increase in federal resources would help alleviate the affordable housing shortage. The report advocated an increase to the National Housing Trust Fund to project-based rental assistance contracts and housing choice vouchers. You'll find a link to this report in today's show notes. And while we're on the topic of federal resources for housing, I want to let you know that bipartisan legislation was recently introduced in the House to create a single-family housing tax credit. The bill, the Neighborhood Homes Investment Act, would create a federal income tax credit that would cover up to 35% of eligible development costs for owner-occupied housing. States would access the tax credits either through a direct allocation of about $1 billion annually based on population size, or they could elect to convert taxes and private activity bond issuance authority into tax credit authority. Now, states would then allocate awards through a competitive process. Now, while the Neighborhood Homes Investment Act is similar to the Long Housing Tax Credit in some ways, there are some important distinctions. The Neighborhood 
Homes Investment Act tax credits would be for single-family owner-occupied homes, not rental housing. The Neighborhood Homes Investment Act tax credits would also be limited to census tracts with low or moderate incomes. Additionally, investors could claim the Neighborhood Homes Investment Tax Credits immediately after the home is occupied, with no recapture risk. Now, the Neighborhood Homes Investment Act serves households with a higher income level than those eligible for the low-income housing tax credit. The elder homeowners for this proposed tax credit would be able to earn up to 140% of the area median income. The low-income housing tax credit typically serves households earning up to 60% of the area median income, or a little higher if income averaging is used. Now, the Neighborhood Homes Investment Act is sponsored by Democratic Representative Brian Higgins of New York and Republican Mike Kelly of Pennsylvania. And they estimate that this new incentive would encourage private investment in 500,000 homes. Now, you can learn more about the proposal on the Novogratz website. I'll post a link to the bill's text in today's show notes and send out a tweet. Also, please email cpas.novico.com with any insights or thoughts you have about this proposed legislation. Now, let's turn to other news. Last week, the City of Fifeman released its latest Qualified Equity Investment Issuance Report. Now, as of the report's June 19th release, the amount of new market tax credit allocation authority available is more than $5.5 billion. Now, this is up from recent reports, of course, due to the recent awards announcement. Now, through 15 allocation rounds, nearly $52 billion of qualified equity investment has been issued. The issuance is being used to revitalize distressed communities. I have included a link to the latest QA report in today's show notes. And turning now to Opportunity Zones news, I have updates from two states on bills designed to increase private investment and opportunity zones in those states. First, legislation was introduced earlier this month in the Michigan State Senate. The bill would create a tax credit for qualified research and development expenses related to the automotive industry and opportunity zones. The bill is SB 378 and has been referred to the Committee on Economic and Small Business Development. And then legislation in West Virginia would provide a state tax liability exemption for net income directly derived from Qualified Opportunity Zone business in West Virginia. This bill passed the House last week. Now, if enacted, HB 113 would go into effect for taxpayers beginning January 1, 2019, and would terminate for taxpayers beginning January 1, 2024. Now, the bill has passed the House, and now it moves to the Senate, where similar legislation has passed in the past. Now, links to both bills are also in today's show notes, and I'll send out a tweet. On a similar note, if you'd like to learn more about current state tax credit proposals, as well as how existing incentives are driving investment in states, I encourage you to subscribe to the Novogratz Journal of Tax Credits. The journal's July issue has a special theme, State of the States, How State Incentives Are Putting Community Investment on the Map. Now, this issue includes content on state opportunity zones incentives, state long-lasting tax credits, state new markets tax credits, and state historic tax credits. I will include a subscription link in today's show notes, and yes, tweet it out as well. Well, that brings it to the end of this week's report. If you haven't already, I want to let you know that there's still time to sign up for the Novogratic LIHTC Year 15 webinar. This webinar is being held this Thursday, June 27th. 
Now, the webinar is going to offer an overview of the tax credit compliance period, resyndication issues, refinance in year 15, and more. You'll also have the opportunity to earn CPE credit. I'll include the registration link in today's show notes. That's it for now. I'm Michael Novogratik. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived podcasts are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. You can find related links referenced in this podcast in our show notes at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast. Novogratik and Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.